Are you ready, Christine? Sure am. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Let's go. Let's go to Durham, North Carolina. Now, are we saying that correctly? Durham, yes. As someone who used to live there, yes. North Carolina. Yes? Yes, you're saying North Carolina correctly. Erin left. Oh, oh <laughs> I'm here. She's oh. here. I don't hear you. Because <laughs> you're frozen in a way that you're just smiling <laughs> so pleasantly. <laughs> We are doing nice not moving. I look like a Muppet. Oh yeah, she is frozen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it is a good smile. Oh, there she is. I'm back. Okay, we are doing 1988's Bull Durham. This and is I used to go to Durham Bulls games quite frequently. Really? Oh, I live not too far from that stadium. Teeny stomping ground. A place called the Speakeasy right across the street. And we would go have beers there. And then we'd go and chip watch the baseball games. I was I meant to look for my Durham Bulls t-shirt and I forgot. Ah. And yet it's called Bull Durham. Do we know why? Is there is there a, a nerd alert? There is a nerd alert for it. I have it somewhere. Okay, we'll wait. Because I have yet to introduce it. <laughs> we are doing the 1988 film Bull Durham. Big surprise now, huh? This is the story of Crash Davis, a Walt Whitman quoting minor league catcher enlisted to help a not so bright rookie pitcher mature as a player. Particulous. It was released on June 15th, 1988, written and directed by Ron Shelton, who he himself was a former minor league infielder. So he took some of his information and life experiences and put it into this. This is also his directorial debut. He also wrote and directed a film called Blaze, starring Paul Newman. Oh. And he also wrote and directed White Men Can't Jump. Oh. And Tin Cup. And oh. he wrote the screenplay for a film called Blue Chips. All right. It's edited by Robert Layton, who also did Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, This Is Spinal Tap, When Harry Met Sally, and A Few Good Men, just to name some of the films he's worked on. Wow. I know. And Adam Weiss, who also did Blank Man and Jingle All The Way, to name a few. The music is by Michael Convertino, who also did The Santa Claus, Children of a Lesser God, and Mistress. The director of photography is Bobby Byrne, who was a camera operator on Paper Moon oh. and was also the director of photography for 16 Candles and Smokey and the Bandit. Ooh, 16 Candles. I know. We haven't done that at all. And I any Molly Ringwald? We haven't. No, and I've we had haven't. a request for it. Wow, you have? I have. Starring Kevin Costner. He was around 32 in this film. He plays Lawrence Crash Davis. He was also in 
So before this, running up to this, he was in The Untouchables, then No Way Out. Then he did this film. Then he follows up this film, Bo Durham, with Field of Dreams. Uh-huh. Jeez. I know. And so then that went on his, like, big... Then he was, like, Kevin fucking Costner by then. Uh-huh. He's What's also... that one? If you build it, they will come. That, yeah, that's uh-huh. Field of Dreams. Um, he was also He's also in Yellowstone. And he's directed three films, Dances with Wolves, The Postman, and Open Range. And here's a little bit of a nerd alert slash cast on Kevin Costner because people like to bring this up all the time. And when Kevin Costner does like Jimmy Kimmel Live and stuff like that, they always drop in how Kevin Costner is born in, um, well, spent this, he was born and spent the first seven years of his life in Compton, California. Oh. And people are like, oh, Kevin Costner's from Compton. Well, wow. Compton, California. So Kevin Costner was born in 1955. And what I'm about to tell you now all comes from blackpast.org, the website. So in the 1950s, Compton was all white. It was settled in 1867 by Griffin Dickinson Compton. And the first black families arrived just before World War II. The middle, it was a middle-class suburb with inexpensive housing in South L.A. County. Um, in 1921, the city adopted restrictive covenants to keep out blacks and other minorities. And civic leaders, real estate agents, and law enforcement agencies all played their part in keeping that going. Keeping sure all the, yeah, keeping Compton white. After World War II, Many African Americans in South Central Los Angeles had more money, and so they started moving on up to Compton. And so, thanks to the United States Supreme Court, in 1948, they banned restrictive covenants. And black families that moved into Compton were then met with violence, vandalism, and terror. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to note how the Supreme Court, in this case, and in many of the other cases, were the tools of change. So it's interesting to see how when somebody uses the tools of change, they're like, how did they get all this done? They did this. All right, then we'll do it. Because tools in the wrong hands can kill people. Mm-hmm. Remember that. Mm-hmm. So then by the mid-50s, white flight was in full flight. And real estate brokers, they started scaring white families, saying that the property value will go down due to the new racially integrated neighborhoods. Now, keep in mind, these people, these these were black middle class people who were coming in to move into Compton, which meant they had the money and the means to buy a house. It was just the only thing that kept them out before wasn't because they were poor. It was because of these restrictive covenants, because it's all that's cast because based on people's skin color Mm -hmm. oh now the property's going down but it's like no like the property will stay the same because we have the same money we got that same green that everybody else has so but in 1940 the black population was five percent and by 1960 the black population was 40 percent then in 1965 you had the up the watts uprising which made a lot of middle-class blacks leave L.A. 
And then they went to Compton, and then that made whites, like, leave Compton even quicker. And then in 1968, you had the Crips. They were founded, and they were actually inspired by the Black Panthers. And they people always point that out. But then what they also don't point out is that the founders of the Crips were super young. We're talking 18-year-olds. Oh. So they were very, they wanted, they liked what the Black Panthers were doing. And they also needed protection because I don't know if you know about like the history of LA and the LAPD, but uh, they went and actively recruited Klan members <laughs> to be in the police department. So I could see how a young, bunch of young Black people and just Black people in general were like, we need a little bit of protection here. Uh-huh. So it was like protection against street violence. And because they were entrepreneurs, but instead of being into pharmaceuticals, they happened to produce and distribute PCP. So it's not uh-huh. great, but what's the difference? You know, yeah. big pharma and PCP. And it's not like there are a lot of avenues for them to go out and make money and people need money. So it was a business. Um, and then, you know, all that money really started coming in and that money changes everything. So then it became the business rivalries became bloody. And then you had in 1972, the people who are rivals, all the little loose groups of rivals with the clips, the Crips, they got together and they formed the Bloods. And then the United States government sprinkled in some crack into that whole powder keg. And then by that time, the population of Compton just completely cratered for everyone. And because everyone wants to be safe and it just wasn't a safe place. And so the rest of the, the middle class blacks that were there left, they're like, bye Compton. And so then by the year 2000, like I said, the population cratered and then the city became more Latino. And why did it become more Latino? I was like, oh, in 2000, it became more Latino. And then I was like, yeah, because the Latinos who lived in places like Silver Lake and Los Feliz in 2000, those places got gentrified. So uh-huh. all the pricing went up. So then those families needed some place that was affordable to go to live. So then they moved in to Compton. And it's this whole cycle, you see? Yeah. So I just thought that that was interesting. It's just so when people are like, oh, Kevin Costner was from Compton. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, he spent his first seven years there. Look at that 55 plus 7, 62. That's right in with the white flight. So yeah. there you have it. There you go. We also have Susan Sarandon. She played Annie Savoy. And I think Susan Sarandon was about 41 when she made this film. I think it was 43. Oh. She did look a lot older than those boys. But she looked fantastic. She sure did. She did. She was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Thelma and Louise and The Client. And uh, always got to shout her out because she is about that activist lifestyle. Yes, she is. And she and Tim Robbins met on this film. um, And they had a long time, decades long relationship. Oh, did they? With yeah. I, well, I mean, they had Kim. They wait. No, they didn't have chemistry. <laughs> never mind. Yeah. yeah. They were. They were acting. I mean, Tim Roberts. He. He. Uh, Robbins. He was what? Like ten years younger 
He's 20, about 29 when he's doing this. Oh, so he, even a bit younger. But he, um, they had some chemistry, not on this film, though. Yes, but that's oftentimes that's the that's what happens is that when um, two actors, if they are like off screen chemistry, they don't mm -hmm. really have it on screen. And then when they don't like each other off screen, then they have it on screen. I think that's a common thing. Except for may I may I share? Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman, because evidently they could not keep their hands off each other. Yes, but they also had strong personalities, so you know that they they fought. And oh, they, they fought was, hard. Yeah, yeah, they fought hard and loved hard and lived hard. If you haven't seen the sixth episode. Uh, Ethan Hawke's The Last Hollywood Couple? The Last Great Hollywood Stars? I think, yeah, it's something like that. It's on HBO Max. Oh, it's so good. Six hours of Paul Newman. I mean, but they, yeah, they, they do an, an equal thing with Joanne Woodward because she had, she was amazing as well. <laughs> if I'm going to look at somebody, it's going to be Paul. Oh. Yeah, but I just like how they really give their dues and show like how talented Joanne Woodward. Yes, was. Yes, and it's like, what a big deal she was. It's really good. Highly, yeah. if you're listening to this, highly recommend it. We have Tim Robbins who played Ebby Calvin Lalouche, aka Nuke. He was in the Shawshank Redemption. He was in. So many other films that I forgot to write down. Ah. The Hudsucker Proxy, Mystic River. You know, he's Tim yeah. Robbins. Many, we many. Trey Wilson as Joe Skip Riggins. He was in Raising Arizona, Twins, and Great Balls of Fire. Robert Wall as Larry Hockett. He's most famous for his TV show Arliss. He was also in the original Batman, Tim Burton film. He was also in Good Morning Vietnam. Danny Gaines, or Gans, G-A-N-S. He was Deke. He was an American singer, comedian, and vocal impressionist. He was Los, Angel Las Vegas's Entertainer of the Year, and his show was Show of the Year for 10 straight years. Wow. From 1998 to 2008. Because when I saw his name, I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And it was because the first time I went to Vegas, it was just plastered everywhere. And then I was like, I haven't seen it recently. And that was because he passed away in 2009. And at the time of his death, he was making $18 million a year. Wow. He owned Vegas Entertainment. Wow. So. Well and done. Finally, we have Max Patkin as himself, a.k.a. the Clown Prince of Baseball. He was around, or he spent 51 years as a baseball clown. He was stationed in Hawaii during World War II and, um, this famous baseball player you may have heard of named Joe DiMaggio hit a home run off of him when they were just playing around in a game and he threw his glove down in disgust and the crowd loved it and thus was born the clown prince of baseball. Oh. Mm. 
Those are the particulars. Okay, well, the movie starts with photos of real Major League players, one of Pete Rose. Hmm? The movie starts with... (laughs) And then the movie goes on to start with (laughs) Annie in a voiceover saying, there's never been a baseball player slept with me, didn't have the best season of his career. And actually, for quotes, we could have just written down her whole voiceover. Oh, my God. Oh, it was good. Then we are at a baseball game of the Durham Bulls. And tonight is Ebby's professional debut. He's quite an erratic pitcher. I mean, he's got speed and power, but he don't have no aim. (laughs) So... They, um, then who shows up but Kevin Costner? He is going to be Ebby's catcher and teach him how to be a more accurate pitcher. Toxic masculinity ensues. What could what go, could wrong? go wrong? So this time there was a, um, a bit of a POC uh, in the stands. Were there any yeah, people but... color in on the Durham Bulls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were there were three Durham Bulls. Um, there's a handful in the crowd. Three Durham Bulls. One of opponent, a general player. You have the po- the pool hall owner, Sandy Grimes, mm-hmm. the concession stand man. And at the end of the film, maybe feel a certain way. You've seen bat ball boys and bat boys all around, like passing messages and stuff. But then we get the black bat boy, and he's carrying all the luggage at the end of the film. And mm. I was just like, what? Mm. Mm. So I would call it, I would give it uh, two handfuls, but then none of the characters really have any speaking lines or anything. Like In that. 1988. Yeah. Uh, based, they, what, but, it, but also baseball. <laughs> But, but still, well, in 88, there were black baseball players. And Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I mean, where were our... But there was. There was. Because remember, who do you think the guy was the one, with the who, chicken one, bones? One. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, okay. they're all in the major leagues. They're all up in the big show. Oh, that's true, too. Okay. So, um, Cast, you brought up the Bat Boy, and you brought up Compton. Other casts? Does anybody? I have a few others, but does anybody else want to go first? You can keep going. Yeah. Okay. So I have how um, Annie found a way to contribute to the game she loves, uh, because the way that she looks at it. <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> well, yeah, because well, because she's she's like a miner who goes and finds a gem and then sends it off to be more valuable. But I doubt that she ever gets a cut for what she does. Because she's not just, she's not just out there being um, like a groupie or a floozy. Like she looks and she decides oh, she knows the who game. the best. Yeah, that's exactly it. She's a fan, which brings me to, like, there's a lot of people who would look at this film in society and look down on her and label her as a groupie and like slut shamer and stuff. But I don't think that this film does that. It shows that here's this woman who grew up. She. She talks in the monologue how she's in the Church of Baseball. So there's this 2018 um, Deadspin article 
the 2018 Deadspin article by Kelsey McKinney called Bull Durham's Annie Savoy is the patron saint of female baseball fans. Mm-hmm. And in this article, this woman, Kelsey, um, talks about how they're, a, I don't know their pronouns. This was 2018. So they um, like to, the huge baseball fans, and that she's a woman, and she liked Annie because she was still feminine and didn't fit into a certain stereotype of a baseball fan. But then this woman talks about how when she and her real life would go to baseball games um, and her husband would step away or go to the uh, bathroom and she's doing the box score, then men would always say, oh, you're so you're so lucky that, you know, your husband's so lucky that you come to the games. And she's like, no, he comes with me. Like I'm the baseball fan. Yeah. And how, um, people always would assume like guys think they know baseball and something dumb. Like when she laughed and then they were like, Oh, what's so funny little lady. And then she like roasted them with how their opinions were wrong. And she talks about how major league baseball does a horrible job, um, reaching out to women. And uh, we've gone over this in Mm -hmm. a league of their own as well. But this article brought up that in 1888, um, because baseball teams will do like this ladies night. And in the Mm -hmm. 1960s, male fans wanted women out of the fandom. So they made up this historical riot. They said in 1897 that women fans of the Washington senators charged the field and attacked an umpire as a mob after a heartthrob pitcher was tossed from the game. And they said, quote, tearing up seats and breaking windows over a handsome young pitcher. And this account was, yeah, this account was put into books on baseball history and it was brought up in articles and all of this stuff. And then, so then finally this, it's listed in the article, but this other reporter, she went about trying to figure out what really happened. So what really happened was that the ump made a controversial call, and after the game, the women got around him and really let him have it and were yelling at him. And one woman might have thrown a punch. That might have happened. Like, nobody's condoning the women's uh, behavior in this situation. But the you fact get excited. And that's the point, because they're fans, and it was a bad call against their team. It wasn't because of this heartthrob beefcake was thrown out. They were doing what men do all the time. Right. And also, there are no windows at the Washington uh, Senator Stadium at the time, and there are definitely no chairs ripped up and thrown out. No. So it's just an, an, another example of just the cast that exists within baseball as far as gender. Because uh, I'll get into it. I have it more later. Okay. So then also baseball in itself is has its own cast system because mm-hmm. the show is called the, what they refer to as the show. That's Major League Baseball. So that's the highest of the high. And then in the minor leagues, there's a six-tier hierarchy with Triple A being the highest of the minor leagues. And that's in cities without major league baseball teams but a major team in another sport and then the tiers get progressively lower and progressively smaller cities and there's some limited indie pro baseball and there's also summer baseball for players to remain amateur 
which is for players who choose not to take payment to play so that they can still play for their college teams. Ah. That amateur ability. And then the lowest is town team senior amateur baseball, and that pretty much only plays on the weekends. So there's a whole cast here within baseball. So if you're in the minor leagues, you you have signed a contract. Yes, you do get paid. I mean, you're not getting paid what oh. the major leagues are getting paid, no. but you are and, getting something. And there have been stories lately about how little you get paid as a minor league ball player. That it's it's very hard, and it it kind of goes into what you see where the only people who can afford to do it are people who come from well off. Uh, backgrounds a lot of times or they're just so poor that right they can do and they also have agents who will like give players money and then they it's kind of like a gamble on the agents like okay i'll give you twenty thousand dollars so that you can like go and hone your craft and play so that you're not completely starving but then when you sign that first deal i get like ten percent oh yeah Oh, like they, they, they're always people who with money that are losing that to flip and make more money. Yeah. And I always think uh, professional football players as being the highest paid, but actually, the the major league baseball players are the highest paid. Yes, am I wrong? Major league baseball right now, and also don't sleep if you're a male soccer player because you can get really. Like, yeah, but I, I think if it's done per, like, the pro sports, I think it's still, like, baseball has the most lucrative deals. Here but St. Germain, striker Lionel Messi is the world's highest-paid athlete. Mm-hmm. Like, 131, $130 million from May 1st, 2021 to May 1st, 2022. Wow. That's one year. So, wow. yeah. That's it. I mean, like, that's a lot, but... That's it for one year? I don't know. I was about to be a billionaire. Well, that's just him uh, playing. You know? That's just him, like, tying up his cleats and going on the pitch. That is that's not all the endorsements. endorsements. Yeah. That's like, where that's... the real money comes in. Is it not? Maybe not. No, that's his contract. Oh. Connor McGregor gotta get into UFC fighting he's number one he this thing has him making 180 million dollars he he you know not the baseball doesn't but he works for it I baseball seems to be the best bang for your buck as far as wear and tear on your body and I'm but you do have to it is a long season that's a day in it day is a out long season yeah yeah Okay, so we have uh, done our POC in our cast. So now we are to nerd alerts. So the year is 1988, and this movie came out in June. It's a leap year. The Soviet Union is still at war with Afghanistan, although they will start withdrawing in May of this year. Iraqi President Saddam Hussein, you know, orders the killing of 50,000 to 182,000 Kurds. Oliver North and John Poindexter are indicted of charges on charges of conspiracy to defraud the United States that has to do with the Iran-Contra affair. And the First Republic 
Bank of Texas fails and enters FDIC receivership, which is the largest FDIC bank failure in history. Wow. That's the FDIC. That's a, that's that thing after the run on banks that if you, you want to make sure that any place that you're putting your money is backed by the FDIC. Cause then when, if, if the bank goes under, then you can get your money back. Yeah. It's an insurance. Right. Unlike cryptocurrencies. So right. <laughs> just remember that's important to have things backed. Um, okay. He and then for nerd alerts, the films number five was twins, number four was Crocodile Dundee 2, number three was Coming to America, number two was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and the number one film of 1988 was Rain Man, which we did. Oh, yeah, and we were in Kansas, yes, yes, that's true. The longest decade of our lives, it was a one year of a very long decade. A very long decade. Um, the Academy Award nominees were Working Girl, Mississippi Burning, Dangerous Liaisons, The Accidental Tourist, and the winner was Rain Man. Mm-hmm. And then for my final nerd alert, I have that Bull Durham is a.k.a. Bull City. So Durham is also known as Bull City because oh. W. T. Blackwell and Company named its product Bull Durham Tobacco. Oh, okay. And then it was bought, the W.T., the Bull Durham Tobacco was bought by James Buchanan Duke, who renames it the uh, American Tobacco Company, and he's responsible for two atrocities. One, he came up with the modern cigarette manufacturing and marketing. So, boo. And two, he made a lot of money doing that, and he left a large chunk of that money to Trinity College, which thanked him by renaming itself. Dude. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that that word which shall not be spoken. But why did they call the movie Bull Durham? Do you have something about that? Well, because the well, the I think it was just clever because Bull was the city, and so it was instead of it being Durham Bull, it was like oh Bull Durham. I think right. that's maybe like a like clever. I'll take it. So I don't. After I saw that it <laughs> kind of had something to do with that university. I I got a little less excited about looking into more things about okay. Durham. Well, um, I actually have a nerd alert about the Durham Bulls. Yes. Nice. Um, just about their history. They are a minor league team of the International League and the Triple A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, mm-hmm. I wondered. They used to previously be of the Mets. Because we saw Mets uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I think that would well, have been it was around. the same color. It and had I, to be because the. Yeah, I think that was this was around the time. <clears throat> when okay. well, Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Bay wasn't a team in the eighty in the eighties. They were an oh, they expansion were? team. No, yeah, no. Oh, interesting. Because this 
this was when I was paying attention to baseball because I was a Reds fan at this time. Because every every summer I would go see a Reds game. Oh, interesting. They were the in 1967. They became a New York Mets affiliate. Ah, okay. Yeah, one year. And it got what? Oh. Well, I was kind of going to say it made kind of sense because they're blue. It was kind of blue and orange. So it would, it kind of seems like it was a little bit Metsy, Met colors. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm mixing it up now that I know. Well, they switched from the Mets to the Phillies, to the Phillies in 1969. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Hey, listen to this crazy naming. So they started out as the, Durham Tobacconists in 1902. <laughs> Tobaccoist? Yeah, the Tobacconists. Yeah, that's that's got to change. We'll, we'll make it work, guys. Quit trying to make Tobaccoist a thing. Right. <clears throat> Their first game in the North Carolina League was against the Charlotte Hornets. Oh. Which what? I guess was a baseball team. I'm... Otherwise, that would be a really interesting game. <laughs> I know. I grew up with the Charlotte Knights as the minor league team, which is there now. They changed their name to the Durham Bulls in December 1912. And then it's like, in 1967, the Bulls became a Mets affiliate. One year later, the Bulls were renamed the Raleigh-Durham Mets. The franchise was renamed because the Bulls acquired the nearby Raleigh Pirates and merged with them. And then they became Phillies affiliates and were renamed the Raleigh Durham Phillies. Like they just couldn't come up with any original names. And then the Phillies abandoned the franchise and the team. (laughs) (laughs) The team became independent and they renamed themselves the Raleigh Durham Triangles for the 1970 season. Well, Oh, because, because it's called the triangle. triangle. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Raleigh okay. Durham Chapel Hill makes a triangle. And it's a terrible name. Uh, then that franchise disbanded before the 1972 season, and baseball would not return to Durham until 1980. Um, oh. And minor league baseball in Raleigh ended for good. And then in the 1980 season, the Raleigh Durham Triangles were reformed and renamed back to the Durham Bulls. And on June 22nd of that same year, local CBS affiliate WTVD in Durham broadcast the Bulls games locally, the full t- first time they'd ever been featured on television. Oh. They also became an affiliate of the Atlanta Braves that season and will remain so until 1998 which I guess is when they were with the Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay? Rays? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have <clears throat> they didn't have any black players until 1957 when third baseman Bubba Martin and pitcher Ted Richardson took the field. I believe it was actually the first season that they ended up going into like Oh, no. That was the first season that the Carolina League All-Star game was played in Durham. Um, They, I'm sorry, where are my notes? Oh, so there wasn't a lot of interest. Like, you know, they had a team play, like, you know, they would have, like, big, like, major league teams come play at the minor league field sometimes. And so there was a game 
and I can't remember which teams it was, but like there's 5,000 people came to watch the game. And then the next day the Bulls played and only like 1,200 people came. But I have, a, I have a question. What team in your area, like growing up, what major league baseball team did they, did the area follow? Was it the Braves? I guess so. Because when I was growing up in D.C., in the DMV area, we didn't have the Nationals. And so everybody followed, most people followed the uh, the O's, hon, the Orioles. Uh No, probably the Braves. I mean, uh, the Charlotte Knights had a really big following. Oh, okay. I don't even think I knew that the Charlotte Knights weren't major league for a year. Like, that was like a big deal to go to Knights games. Oh, all right, yeah. that makes sense. And we had basketball, so. And that's what they were saying in the in the hierarchy. That's a perfect example. Charlotte, they had, well, at the time, well, around that time, yeah, they got the Hornets. So it was a city that had a professional team mm-hmm. in a major sport. And then, yeah, then the, they would have the top tier minor league team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when so when Bull Durham was released, it made to a resurgence of local popular interest in the team and their ballpark. And on August 30th, 1990, a crowd of 6,202 people made the Bulls the first Class A team in history to pass the 300,000 mark in attendance for a season. Oh, excellent. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, they were... Sold to Capital Broadcasting Company in 1991, and they were able to build a new stadium in downtown Durham, where it is currently. And in July 1992, the Bulls unveiled their current mascot, Wool E. Bull, a moniker submitted by Durham resident Jim Vickery out of a pool of 500 he won, inspired by the otherwise unrelated novelty song, Wooly Bully. The... (laughs) The E in his name, because his name is Wool, and his middle name is E, or his initial, and then Bull. So the E in his name stands for education. Oh. All right, then. Thanks for throwing that in there. Yeah, I don't know. Education about what? We don't know. The next June, the Bulls retired number 18, belonging to Joe Morgan, the first Hall of Famer to play for the Bulls, who was a member of the 1963 club. And Morgan's number remained the only one retired by the club for many years. I think that was the jersey that um that Wooly where you know he's oh. number 18. The team also retained the snorting bull sign that was used in Bull Durham and it remained at Durham Athletic Park until both team and sign left after the 1994 season. Oh. And those are the Durham Bulls. Oh wait and I was wondering why I was like oh yeah like I would go to a lot of games. And it was because in 2009, which is, I think I moved to Durham in 2009. In 2009, they won the, they won their division for a third consecutive season with an 83-61 record. And then in 2010, they won their fourth straight divisional championship. Oh. Oh, so you were just, they're sprinkling your teeny picks bangers dust all over that yeah. team. It's, you're just championships 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 yeah. wherever you go and then i have a picture of like that old durham bull sign somewhere and i couldn't find it on my phone 
They have a new one up now, and it's not great. If you ever want a, uh, a baseball hat that's fun, go look at the ma- minor league logos. They have some wild and yeah, fun, crazy logos. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on the flying squirrels. Go nuts. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking of the flying squirrels. Well, all right then. Now we are to reheatables. Negative. And a couple of mine are holdovers from a leak of their own. Chewing tobacco, I just don't understand the pleasure. The blood in your mouth, then you have to get rid of the spittle. Obviously, you're not a tobaccoist. (laughs) Obviously not. And toxic masculinity, of course, which is just rampant. I really felt like maybe bull Durham. I felt like uh, Epi was a bull, you know, like a bull in a china shop. And all he wanted to do was have sex, you know. That was my thinking. But uh, I said, what's the deal with Annie? But Aaron told me the deal with Annie. So Annie is a is a, a a name that you assign to baseball groupies because there are baseball groupies. Oh. They're called baseball mm-hmm. Annies. Baseball, baseball Annies. Annies. And that's that's why she was named Annie. Mm-hmm. Other negatives. She's wrong. Baseball is sometimes boring. It can be quite boring. It can be. Then and you then- start looking at the people in the crowd. Mary- doesn't somebody get married in their baseball uniform yeah the, on the on the yeah. on the diamond yeah <laughs> i just sent you a picture of a very shitty very filtered picture but in the if you zoom in you can see the current durham bowl oh okay oh yeah i see oh nice and I only wrote down two negatives, so. Oh, that was it? Okay. Yeah. My that name... new bull is a negative. The other one yeah. is better. Um, Ron Shelton, he said, uh, quote, he decided to see if a woman could tell a story. And that was one of the reasons. And then when he was driving around, he did the whole monologue while he was driving around um, the Durham area. He just recorded into a tape recorder, the Annie's whole monologue that is at the oh. beginning. Um, I thought it was interesting because Annie completely disappears in the middle of the season. So I'm like, is this really her story? But the good thing that I liked about it was how she loves baseball and she has a superior knowledge to the game, which uh-huh. then I went down this rabbit hole. Cause I was like, well, and it's 1988 and what 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 opportunities did she have for loving this game of baseball that obviously didn't love her back? Because in 1989, Gail Gardner became the first woman to regularly host Major League Baseball games for a TV network. So that wasn't until a year after this film came out. In 2015, Jessica Mendoza became the first female analyst for a Major League Baseball game in the history of ESPN. That was 2015. 
And as of to this day, there's only one woman in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It happens to be a black woman named Effa Manley, who was inducted posthumously in 2006. She co-owned the Newark Eagles in the Negro Leagues from 1935 to 1948. So, she, yeah. So, it, it's kind of like, well... What is she going to do for this love? You know? So it's mm-hmm. a bad it's a bad look for baseball. Mm-hmm. Um okay, this is so this is one of those times when I heard about this movie. I this movie came out when I was a little kid. I remember hearing about it when I was a little kid. I remember I've always heard about it. It's always listed either top of the list or right there at the top of the list of best sports movies of all time. So when I sat down and I watched it, this is one of those classic, ha, so this is Bo Durham. Because I wasn't, my expectation of what this movie was going to be and what this movie is were completely different. So when I came up with this negative reheatable, I was like, there's not that much sports in the movie. There's no pennant race in the third act. It's just this winning streak that's amusing because of the superstitions that it creates. But, you know, I'm, I'm just like, is this, is this because when this came out, this was before Field of Dreams and it was before League of Their Own? But then in doing research, like, no, this movie is still continually up there. I, on the Sports Illustrated list, it has it as the number one greatest sports movie of all time. Really? Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people do. And huh. But the reason that they like it is because it doesn't have to do with the sports. They like it for the reason that I'm giving it a bad reheatable. So this could be a bad reheatable on me and the expectations that I unfairly came into this. Because then when I read, like, the reason that they like it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it has a point. Because it's, it's more about the life of sports. And the fact, like, the fact that there wasn't a big sports movie moment in the third act is the reason that a lot of people love the movie. Oh, okay. And that it's more of a romantic comedy, uh-huh. really, than a sports film. But it just has sports as the backdrop. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, oh, well, this just, that's like everything that they're saying is fair. And now it's making me kind of reassess. Like, because when I finished watching this movie, I was like, huh. Well, I, I was not that impressed by it, if I'm being honest. But then when I hear, like, then if I look at it as a romantic comedy, I'm like, well, maybe I would have liked it better if it mm-hmm. hadn't been hyped is like the best sports movie of all time so i think it reads very sports interesting okay i disagree with you on that and that and that is fair because yeah it i think it is better that i think i'm wrong in this i think that this this (laughs) negative reheatable is gonna end up being a negative reheatable for me so (laughs) hey sometimes sometimes you're wrong well, for uh, someone who loves sports like you, you love the game and you love mm-hmm. the um, strategy behind the game and you love, you know, the the coaching of it and all of that, those aspects. So, yeah, you weren't getting that in this. No. And, and he says it in interviews and stuff that have come out is that this film really only has two acts 
and that the third act, which would be the big game, it's really when Nuke gets uh, up to the yeah, big show, up. and then he's taken away, and then Annie and Crash can get together. And so, and and Ron Shelton was always interested in the things that the cameras don't see on the sports yeah. events. Yeah. And so then I'm like, oh, you know what? Okay, that is very fair. Um, my next is baseball uniforms of the 80s, how they would have that thick polyester waistband. Mm-hmm. And although I did like when they had just the shirts, I, I was a fan of that. But somehow, like, just I watched Ken Burns' baseball documentary until it got up to about the 80s, and then I lost interest. And I'm like, oh, yeah, their uniforms changed, and they started having AstroTurf. And I, mm. I was just kind of out. And so it's it's funny to see the old-time uniforms now coming back, but they've been for a while. Um, guys fighting to bond, that whole toxic masculinity oh, yeah. weird thing that guys do, where they didn't even know why they were fighting, but they just knew that they had to fight. And one of them had to get punched, and then they're best friends for life. It, uh, what, uh, weird. Um, Tim Robbins' hair in this? <laughs> well, they made him look as young as possible, and he did look very young. But he had such a great head of hair in Shawshank Redemption. And then in this, I'm like, is this a wig? What's up with his hairline? Because his hairline is so way better. And then you'll notice at the end of this, when he has the short hair and it's spiky, it's like that's his hair. Yeah, yeah. That you could tell that. So I'm wondering if they put a wig on him to give him the whole like weird 50s throwback duck look that was big yeah, in the 80s. Maybe, I don't know. maybe. <sighs> okay. Annie's furniture in her house. This is going to be kind of maybe i'm not a fan of that oldie style furniture oh, i loved her house oh, i loved I, it well we oh. have a whole house of furniture for you baby well <laughs> solve that problem yeah <laughs> and, and thank you for taking it and it's oh. a great shape because plastic's been on it for it's a years, great shape so. that cherry furniture Ooh. um the, the and- beds are all full there are no queen or king size beds but you know and finally, okay, this is one of people say it's a classic scene, but <laughs> Teeny, I don't know if you realized that the last time we hung out when I was visiting your house that you made me laugh so hard. And to this day, I still remember it. And I laughed so hard. I was sitting in there, I was sitting there watching TV at your place in Brooklyn and you had the shower was running. And then you just like streak by and you're like, oh my God, there's somebody from California. Can't let, can't leave the water running. Can't leave the water running. (laughs) Because my negative MVP, maybe this is, maybe honestly, this should be moved to my LVP, but I'll just go with it now. Was when they're like, we need a rain out because they needed a break and they just go to the field and put out all the water all night long. I was just, I got so physically uncomfortable watching that. Wow. You have no idea. I, I would didn't just even like think of it. Well, no. because I don't know if y'all know this. Have y'all seen uh, Las Vegas? Las Vegas has. Oh uh, yeah, the flooding. They no. It looks crazy. No, there's not flooding. It's Las Vegas has 50 days of clean water left. 
Yeah. Uh, I saw the videos of the casinos flooding. Oh, no, because of the the wildfire has contaminated their Mm. reservoir. Uh Uh-oh. Because they, they, Las Vegas did a lot of work to ensure that, because they're in the desert and stuff, and these wildfires came and contaminated their reservoir, and they have 50 days of clean water left. Oh, that's frightening. It's a very frightening thing for the West, for the West, (laughs) like, water is a serious I had a conniption fit running. I ran one day in the water, and I'm like, I don't even know who to call. I don't want to. I can't call the cops <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a little brown girl. <laughs> so, water consumption. Oh, I get so nervous. Oh, don't worry. I'll be in trouble this week, Jamie. No, when, when I'm on the on the East Coast, I I let it fly. <laughs> I'm like, ha ha. You ain't paying. Okay, positive reheatables. <clears throat> Kevin Costner before his Oscar. I really enjoyed Kevin Costner in this. After his Oscar, he got a little too serious, got a little too big headed, got, got a little, you know. I loved him in this. Yes. Uh, throwing popcorn for the wedding. Now, I said that, but I wonder. That has to be better for the birds because it's already popped than throwing rice because the rice, you don't throw rice anymore because the birds eat it and then it swells up in their gullet and kills them. So wouldn't popcorn be better because it's already popped? Not according to Dr. Gundry. <laughs> well, it's the birds. Let the birds' gullets it's deal with birds. it. It's the birds. I, yeah, then, I, would, I think so. But they're throwing that buttered going on her in her wedding dress. I guess she didn't care. Well, and... because... <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I I have the quote. And um the I really noticed the music in this. I liked the music. That saxophone part <laughs> out of control. I love the saxophone part. I have that also because it was out. This that saxophone sex scene was out of control. It, it was. was a, it was a saxophone <laughs> sex scene. Oh yeah, it was. Scary. Oh, and wait, it might be my LV, MVP. Yeah, never mind. That's my MVP. My positives. The sound effects were good, specifically yes. the, the punching was, sound effects. That was so good. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you watch Big Brother. Yes. Have you noticed the sound effects? Yeah, with like the squeaky wheel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The Durham Bulls. Mm -hmm. Minor League Baseball games in general. They're so much more fun. Well, they're so fun because like you're not spending an arm and a leg to go. Yeah. They have fun theme nights. Uh, Yeah. Highly recommend. The movie did hold up for me. I thought it was a great sports movie. Okay, good. And then the scene that I really enjoyed was when they were having the conversation on the mound. Uh, they were mm-hmm. like, really stressed out. We can't. We, we, we don't know what to get so-and-so for their wedding day. And the, the tips on wedding day gifts. He was he, like, candlesticks always make a nice gift. Maybe he you can had- look up for registry. <laughs> 
He ad-libbed that. Really? Yeah, the actor came up with that. Oh, my God. Because a a few months earlier, one of his friends was getting married, and it was basically, that's what his wife said, was word for word, and he just went and said it. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Those are mine. I have the Orion film logo, because Orion's belt is my favorite constellation, and so I I always love the Orion film logo. And I'm like, oh... Um, you know what? I like Annie seems to be happy and living her best life. She does. And the film respects mm-hmm. her fandom and her knowledge and her her agency. Like she knows w- what the deal is. And she she seems to be she's also a professor, an English professor. So Part-time. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like damn, she got she kind of got it all figured out. Just so I'm just saying. Um, Nuke dancing at the bar yes. was hilarious. Yes. So, Tasty Titty, a young choreographer, was flown in to help show some moves, and her name, Paula Abdul. Oh, shit. She was, yeah, she was flown in from Los Angeles to teach Tim some moves, and somehow, uh, you know, these Hollywood types. She was under the impression that she would teach him some moves and she would get a speaking part in the film. So she teaches him some moves. She goes up to Ron Shelton's like, all right, what's my part? And Ron's like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You don't have a part. And so then she told him and everyone else what they could all go and do and left and left. So I was just like, oh, man, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um. I like I love the scene where Crash tells what Annie what he believes in, and a lot yeah. of that I was like, oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. AstroTurf yeah. with him opening gifts up on Christmas, Christmas morning. Day. Yeah, and and it, that's one of his maybe Kevin Costner's best scenes because it's like he he's really good in a really narrow. Kevin Costner doesn't have range but like what he can do is very specific and really only he can do it and when movie does tap into that like when he's talking to himself you know like um, in the batter's box and stuff and and like walking up and and just being that like you can just tell that he's lived that life Mm -hmm. and it's just very believable and I gotta, yeah. I mean, I I was like, I get why Kevin Costner was a big deal in the '80s. Uh-huh. Like, I get it. I even get it now. Like watching Yellowstone, I'm like, yeah, he's got that certain something. Um, and finally, this is probably the best good reheatable, but just how cruel, how cruel sports can be. <laughs> it can be so cruel. So. I just, it's just like today was the European women's final soccer match. It was England versus Germany. It was the largest crowd for men or women. It was the largest human being Euro final crowd size. It was the largest crowd size to watch a woman's game since the Rose Bowl in 1999. And it was beautiful to see all of these English fans. Just the stadium was crowded to capacity, mm-hmm. just cheering on these professional women, and to see them just playing their hearts out. And your and sports is sports is such a cruel mistress. 
it's and Crash knows that, and that's what this film gets into. Yeah. And, it, and this is one of those films where I like it more. The more I'm, I think about it, it it's like mm-hmm. growing on me. Mm-hmm. So, take what you will. Mm-hmm. Sports, because you'll just you just break people's hearts. Especially when people care that much. Yeah. So we are to quotables, and as I said, the whole monologue of her um, voiceover at the beginning, you could you could write them all down. So I have, <laughs> so she is with uh, Cash, Crash, and Ebby, and she goes, shall we go to my place? And Ebby goes, which one of us? And she goes, both of Both. You, of course. <laughs> And she tells she tells Ebby, when you know how to make love, you'll know how to pitch. Gotta have patience. Gotta be present. <laughs> yeah. Crickets. Uh, okay. Well, it's just awkward. That's okay. Let's keep it. Because <laughs> we'll go to her quote to the bride, honey, we all deserve to wear white. Mm-hmm. I have that. That might be my favorite quote of the film. Uh, I agree, because we do. All the shit we've all been through. Yeah. Okay, those are mine. Well, I have candlesticks always make a nice gift. Candlesticks are great. You're going to inherit quite a few. You know what's funny is they're like popular now candlesticks and like tapered candles mm-hmm. they're back in style but in all these crazy colors yeah if if i have any advice for if anyone happens to be listen for whatever reason god bless you if you happen to be a young person listening to this hey i want to i want to right now interrupt you and say we have a new follower thank you okay. paula augenstein for following us she was about to say paula abdul no <laughs> Shout out. Shout I out to Paula. It. My advice though would be if like anything that you're in, if you're in your 20s, guarantee save anything that you're into now because it will come back around and be popular again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for Hummels and <laughs> Hummels are never coming back, are they? They might. We live in wild, wild times. Okay. Um, I have, when somebody leaves Durham, they don't come back. Oh. Yeah. You left Durham and you didn't go back. No, but I would. Yeah. Life's not over I don't think yet. that's necessarily true. Um, <laughs> the This one is a pretty good one. So this might go in one of my, this is a top quote candidate right here. Oh. I have two top quote candidates. Ooh. The world is made for people who aren't cursed with self-awareness. Yes. Well, that is so true. Yes. That's mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite all-timers. Um, and then my other top quote candidate is just because sometimes you manage to be clever and you have a nice smile doesn't mean you're full of shit. Doesn't mean you're not full of shit. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Um when he calls her cute. I say he and her because I don't can't remember their names. 
And she said, baby ducks are cute. I hate cute. She didn't want oh, to be cute. She wanted to be yeah. exotic. Yeah. Um, this one still stands today. Could stand today. I guess it's, is the modern day athlete a pale imitation of the great old warriors? Mm. Depends on who your point of view. Exactly. Yeah. He's got a million dollar arm, but a five cent head. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. <laughs> and then the only church that truly feeds the soul day in and day out is the church of baseball. Mm. I have not, not for me, but for baseball enthusiasts, definitely. Mm-hmm. I have there are 108 beads in a Catholic rosary, and there are 108 stitches in a baseball. Yeah, but that's then interesting. there's a nerd alert. It's Hindu and Buddhist prayer beads have a hundred nine bead count. That oh. the most commonly used Catholic rosary beads have fifty nine. This is just what I read, no firsthand knowledge or anything. I don't. Ooh, I would, you're gonna get you, some scorn, Catholics coming at you. Come at me all you want. I ain't there, so <laughs> I don't. I don't need any things tangible items to manifest anything but you do you um (laughs) yeah i've tried them all i really have and the only church that truly feeds the soil day in and day out is the church of baseball Mm -hmm. and then what this whole movie really is about there's never been a player slept with me who didn't have the best year of his career Mm mm-hmm and that's because she she knew what to work with. She was just a sculptor. Yeah. She was just a just out taking the diamond from the rough and polishing it all off and the, just like for the love of the game, go out and fly, mm-hmm. little birdie. Mm-hmm. So those are my quotables. There's so many quotables. Ah, uh, so many. And Ebby would listen to her before he'd listen to Kevin Costner, who was supposed to be his mentor. Yeah, because we know how that works. So now we are to LVP, and I don't have one written down. Oh. I have that they, okay, this is from something on ESPN.com. Okay. (laughs) I'm more, I, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That did sound that did sound very judgmental. <laughs> and that's how I feel about ESPN. ESPN always makes me feel stupid. So. What? Why? Well, here I, I am to make you feel stupider. Stupider. <laughs> Christine, making me feel stupider. Here we go. Okay. And this person hated the movie. Oh. Aaron. Hated the movie. I didn't hate the movie. You probably, it's written by Aaron Bush. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> This is my, one of my biggest problems with Bull Durham is its reputation for being a realistic view of life in the minor leagues. Ooh, look at me. I use the words juice and hammer and dinger. I refer to the majors as the show. I'm a baseball insider. Crash goes up to the plate, calls the pitcher meat, and we get to hear his thoughts like, you're not going to get that cheese by me. That's what I say about this movie. They're not going to get all that cheese by me. I happened to pay attention when Nuke's record fell to one and six. 
Then the Bulls went on a winning streak and Nuke won a few games. He never threw a shutout or even completely fixed his control problems, but he probably got his record up to about five, five and six. That means he won five and lost six. Right, right. Even I knew that. Okay. Remember, this is class A ball. And when he's with a five, six record, Nuke gets the call to bypass double A and triple A. He's going straight to the show. But that's the kind of stupidity you can let slide in a great movie. But in a bad movie, it's the kind of stupidity that's just plain stupid. That's his thought. I don't think it's a bad movie. But it did bother me that I was like, oh, now he's just like in the major leagues. He's terrible. Yeah. He's so terrible. He's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Crash, who was obviously good at his time and a whole lot cuter, was only in the majors for a one week. Was 21 one week? days. 21, 21 days. of the best month, days of yeah. his life. Yeah. I mean, my man makes some points. <laughs> yeah, he does. But it, but ultimately, what makes this the greatest, I've discovered is what makes this the greatest sports film is that it's not really a sports film. Exactly. Contrary. And then once I saw that, then I was like, ah, okay, I get it. But if I'm presented with this is the greatest sports film, and then I sit and watch it, I was like, oh, yeah, no wonder you were left a little. But then you're like, oh, but I it, guess it that's isn't an argument. Really that. I do think it's a sports film, but that is a good argument for it not being a sports film if they really let yeah. that happen. Exactly. Exactly. But how it, many times in real life, though, are we like, how the fuck did this person end up here? Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a it's more of a marketing. The world is made for people who aren't cursed with self awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That might be the quote of the year. Yeah, it's 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 definitely up there. It it more has to do with a a marketing um a marketing issue because most a lot of the the films that we do like some of them have a preconceived buzz to them, but a lot of them are so old that we don't really. We just come into it fresh, and ju- and then just the movie just washes over us mm-hmm. without the hype. But then you get the hype of things, and then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, which is ah, and that's that's modern, that's modern society and everything. Mm-hmm. So my LVP, I like you, Ma. I struggled. I had this blank for a long time. Um, I ended up settling on the show. Major League Baseball as being the LVP. Oh. Because it just like we've we've touched on it. We said that baseball was boring. Um and they do a lousy job of reaching out to women fans. I think mm-hmm. they do a lousy job of reaching out to minorities. Mm-hmm. And I think that that plays out in the importance of what baseball is in America. They used to call it America's game, but uh-huh. you can't honestly, like if you're looking at historical wise, yes. And baseball, I love the lore of baseball. I watched the Ken Burns baseball documentary because the lore of old of baseball and the old timiness and uh, the Americanness of it and all of that is, it's, it's great. It's the mythology and you get the drama of the games and all of that. And it has such a history with it, but that's not translating and they're not doing a really good job of reaching out. And it's wild to me how a sport that anyone could play. Cause that was the thing with baseball and why it became so popular. You had stick ball in the streets. 
You have people playing it in the cornfields. Like, anyone could play it. All you needed was a bat and a ball. You didn't even need a glove. And I find that it's the same thing with soccer. And it has it's something with America, how these two sports of baseball and soccer, where, especially with soccer, it's world famous. That's the number one world sport. And all you need is a ball to play it. And yet these two sports, baseball and soccer specifically in America, are so inaccessible to, to children and young people playing them now. Mm-hmm because it is so expensive to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, how are these two sports so expensive to play? When they, sh- they like, we should be having programs in cities and stuff, and we should just be pumping out baseball and soccer players left and right. And yet, these are suburban sports that well-to-do children can afford to play. And it's Because you don't need all the equipment. You don't need all the shoulder pads and the helmets and... Uh, of football or ice hockey you know you need the ice i mean you're right Mm -hmm. but it's so they have this whole system in place where you go and the traveling teams and it's like people can't afford that you know and you're just squandering talent yeah it's it's wild yeah you're missing out on a whole lot Mm -hmm. of natural talent because kids are getting coached at younger and younger ages to be you know okay players but if you get that natural talent in there and there's so much natural talent though that that like there's not that many like you look at major league baseball teams and if there are black players and this is nothing against the like you know black players but you'll be like oh there's there are black players and they're usually from the dominican republic exactly. or cuba or something like that and they're exactly. not homegrown whereas it used to be you know, like I wrote Barry Larkin, you know, like you used to have all of these great black players and the uh, participation has just gone down and it's gone down so much that it can't be an accident. And that and if it isn't, that's on you, Major League Baseball, because it's looking like that isn't an accident and that you don't care and that you, in fact, like it, that black people don't play yeah. the game and that black Americans aren't really interested in baseball anymore. And if you've heard it and you're not trying to fix it and that trickles down. Cause who drives the young, who drives the youth and the, what culture drives the youth culture. So like you're it, you need to think about that for your, the future of your sport, honestly. So that's just my advice. Thank you, Aaron. Wow. That was really good. Makes my MVP look really weak. My MVP is Kevin in a kimono. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's true. He's an artist. He, an artist of many kinds of works. Many um, I had two. Well, I have a runner up. My runner-up came from an article on cinemablend.com. And it says, Annie Savoy's walk to the Sturmbull Stadium perfectly captures the beauty of baseball at night. Mm. And walk, it says, walk, walking into a well-lit baseball stadium at dusk is something that everyone should get to experience at least once in their lifetime. There's just something about the way those massive bright lights look against the backdrop of a midsummer sunset and the opening scene of Bull Durham captures that better than just about any movie before or since. Mm. Um, 
So that's my runner up because that is a, oh man, like it's hot, but it's like not that hot because the sun's gone down and it's like yeah. cooling That's off. how I feel about, about football under the lights, you yeah. know, like a high school football game. Mm. Yeah. Got that crisp in the air for the football oh, game. Yeah. And this, yeah. And like this, you have that summer. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there is nothing. And that's, a, that's why it makes my LVP like more res because like you've been to it. Mm-hmm. Dodger Stadium, although it was built under very shady situations and stuff, that ballpark is beautiful. You go out there and you and just how it's situated in Los Angeles and up there and and the lights and especially when it's getting dusk. Woo! But even like I don't know the like Flying Squirrels game at dusk. Like yeah, yeah. Of, I mean it's nice now, but like. Not fancy, you don't have a fancy backdrop or anything, you know, but, um, and my MVP is Susan Sarandon. Amen. Oh my God. She was so good. So cool. So like she was exotic. She was not cute at all. I loved her. She just like was wearing her underwear around the house with her, with her kimono on. Right. Um, her house was great. She was just single, loving life, and exactly. she's, you're moving. That's cool. Go ahead and move. I don't care. I'll be here, I guess. But yeah, not making no apologies you. for any of yeah. her choices. Yep, I agree. And I, I, only working part time. Come on, so that she could have her baseball a dream. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then I did read that her kids were really uncomfortable. Her specifically her son's really uncomfortable watching her I'll bet I'll bet but then I I also bet that's how she was in real life yeah like she continues to be yeah vocal and out so like yeah they would be uncomfortable but yeah like nobody wants to watch their mom have a saxophone sex scene yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, that is that is true. No, nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> the beach this summer will be. <laughs> no, well, there have never been and never will be. <laughs> Mine was the same, Susan Sarandon, and yeah. this is what. Roger Ebert said, he said, quote, I don't know who else they could have hired to play Annie Savoy, the Sarandon character who pledges her heart and her body to one player a season, but I doubt if the character would have worked without Sarandon's wonderful performance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, I and don't... wardrobe. Wardrobe. Yeah. And that you know first what... outfit, the black shirt with the, with the, with the plaid and then the red pumps. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what's wild is that the studio didn't want to cast her. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. flew out. She was to, too old. Yeah, they said she was oh, too well, old. Yeah. And they said that she didn't look good. And they, they what? said, yeah, they said she didn't look good. And they said that the movie wasn't. Get funny. out of here. Yeah. And she flew out on her own. For, she was living in Italy at the time, and I think had like a two-year-old daughter and a nanny. And she flew out on her own and read for the part. And then they were like, look this guy he doesn't think that you're basically sexy enough to play this so exactly he was like yeah. he was like i hate to say this but you know what you have to do so she wore a skin tight 
dress and cleavage and she was worked her Susan Sarandon charms and they were like, all right, <laughs> she stays in the okay, picture. Okay. I, th- I think I you get it. Do it. I get it. And she was like, she was like, I, I knew what had to be done. So ah, props, props to Sarandon. Cause yeah, I don't know who, I mean, we have it in tasty titties, but yeah. And I do have my recasting. Oh, oh okay. Uh, and we are ready for it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm going to go with my crash. Mm-mm. Oh, no, I had this backwards. Oh. I'm going to go with my Ebby first. Okay. Okay, so this is uh, Look Back in Time cast. Mm. We're back in the 60s. Okay. I know who's playing Crash. Yes, you do. Paul Newman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so Annie's going to be Joanne. I was right? Yeah. yeah. Remember when I guessed the movie? Yes. Remember that time? Oh, yes. Yeah. And I just guessed a recasting. Wow. Yeah. You Look did. at you. are learning. I'm, I'm tearing you. up over here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I had a really hard time with Ebby because I wanted Ebby to be able to be doofus because Ebby didn't have a whole lot going on upstairs. Yes. So I did, uh, someone young at that time, I did young Clint Eastwood for two reasons. Oh. One, one, that he could be, he could be that um, athletic dude. And two, because I want him to be uh, thrown over for Paul. I mean, you know who, if you're like really doing this in, in 1980s and recasting it, um, Brad Pitt's out there. I had Brad. I also thought of Robert Redford. But why would Annie? <laughs> why would Annie? Yeah, exactly. So Robert Who had to go. Your Annie? What? Who was your Annie? Uh, Joanne Woodward. Oh, yeah. She would have been a good Annie. See, because she comes across first like, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, but there's yeah. some there is something about Joy or Woodward. Yeah. yeah. Those 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 little tiny bangs. I hate those little tiny bangs on her, but she, she's just got this feistiness to her. Yeah, she can I'm make like, it work. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I, mm-hmm. I get it. Uh Three Faces of Eat. Is it Three Faces of Eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where she um had different personalities and that sexy personality. Watch out, people. I mean, her life is great. Don't get me wrong, but I think that she would have been she would have been having mm-hmm. so much fun right now with the with the Netflix streaming shows. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at somebody like Tony Collette and and like mm-hmm. the different things and Gillian Anderson, and it's like, man, Joanne Woodward would have just been out here just like tearing shit up. She's still with us, but she has um, dementia pretty bad now. Does that mean she doesn't know that she was married to Paul? I think that's all she probably knows. <laughs> that's all she needs to know, you know? Yeah. Okay. Your re- any other recastings? So my recasting, I, it was tough because the whole time I'm <laughs> comparing this film to A League of Their Own, and I'm like, wait, that this is a Bull Durham is the story of a catcher and a pitcher, and a league yeah. of their own is a story. Yeah, it was very yeah. reminiscent of that. Yeah, so I, so at first I like I had I was just like this was basically already done for me. It was recast as a league of their own. But then, like I mentioned before, I watched the 
uh, European soccer final, and oh. I got an idea, and I was like, oh, snap. What if we do a gender switch? I and wanted to do that. We set it in women's premier soccer league. So that's oh, an no, amateur no, 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 That's an amateur level because uh-huh. like women's soccer doesn't really have the the hierarchy and stuff, but this is this is people who are not getting paid. So then it adds into it leans into what made Bull Durham a, a great sports movie to many cuz then you have these women who are trying to be professionals but that they also have to support themselves mm-hmm. with these other jobs and then you have somebody that would be like an Annie's character but it's a man and so mm-hmm. i this is the only person that i cast was Glenn Powell from Top Gun 2 and Scream Queens because he would be like young and you could have that he um maybe he got he was a soccer he was going to on that soccer trajectory mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then he got hurt and mm-hmm. then maybe he had some sort of uh so, so, got canceled in some kind of way mm-hmm. maybe he had some kind of problems of like maybe uh substance abuse or some some sort of issue and so his way to get into coaching and stuff or maybe he's just like kind of the dude esque and he's and he's like Annie, but he's the male Annie where he's mm-hmm. just like, I just find these women mm-hmm. and they're soccer ladies. They're you know, they're young. I'm young. I give them a few tips and then they go on their way. And it's great for him because there isn't the any of like the attachment because they're very focused on, you know, going up and rising up to those steps mm-hmm. and stuff. And mm-hmm. then maybe you have somebody who was a big shot. And gets like busted back down, and then there's the competition between uh-huh. the two. So I thought that that that's how I would do it. Yeah, I was trying to figure, it, but I don't know enough female athletes to be able to do that. So I'm glad you did. Wow. So now we I'll are. This. Oh, uh, Christine, did you do a recasting? No, I didn't. I okay. So we are to tasties. I don't want to ever leave you out there, hanging. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it, we could always do it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, we could. Like, Danny like, DeVito is Annie. Annie. Yep. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Would be a pretty good Annie. D. Sweet D. Sweet D. Obviously, it's Charlie is Nuke. And yeah. Mac is Crash. Crash. Yeah. See, she always has one up her sleeve. So Kurt Russell, child star, he oh, helped yeah. with this script. He played minor league baseball in the early 70s. He did, yeah. Um, he was considered for the original Crash. Mm-hmm. Now, I have other people considered for Crash. Jeff Bridges and Don Johnson both turned down the role. And in 1888, Don Johnson was pretty <laughs> oh, Oh, not, not 1888. <laughs> did I say 18? You did. You said 1888. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I had to mute myself. Um, 1988. Okay. Um, people can... Wait, I had others. Okay, so I'm trying to keep this... Uh, David Duchovny was considered for Nuke. Oh, really? Weird. Yeah. Now, I do know the um, director really fought for Kevin Costner because he knew he was an athletic, like he had the athletic stance. 
Yeah, he, Kevin Costner played baseball. That was yeah. his sport. So he knew that, you know, he had that. All um, Charlie Sheen was also mm-hmm. considered for new. Yeah, I can but see Charlie, that. But Charlie Charlie yeah. Sheen uh, went and did Eight Men Out. And that was, and Charlie Sheen was more of a like what the studio wanted. Yeah, Carrie Fisher and Deborah Winger auditioned for Annie. Oh my god! Then backed out at some point. They said Michelle Pfeiffer was too young. See, yeah, that's, that's just telling it because they said Susan Sarandon was too old. They're actresses; they can play the part. They can play the part, but I do wonder. I I feel like Susan Sarandon's like that it wasn't that tr- that it it added I a positivity to because it gave her more of an agency more of a that she wasn't being taken she knew advantage who she of was. yes yes yeah. exactly she wasn't out here looking for a husband she was doing what she was doing to help the game of baseball and it helped her as well mm-hmm. other people considered for Annie were. Kim Basinger turned it down. I don't see because Kim Basinger never. She she never and what I saw she never had that um that fieriness to her where right. I would believe that Kim Basinger like no. went to the Church of Baseball. Right. Glenn Close was considered, but she was in Dangerous Liaisons. I could see Glenn Close. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Kate Capshaw, Gina Davis, and Isabella Rossellini were all considered, but you know what? They got the star they needed. Mm-hmm. I also have Ellen Barkin passed on it. Oh, okay. El- oh. And that would have been a different. It would have been totally been a different, different Annie. Because Ellen Barkin is, to me, all hard edges. Um, Susan Sarandon had a few smoother edges, you know, I mean, and it, it's because of her age and what she's lived through. She has sharp edges and smooth edges. Ellen Barkin, boy, that would have been a whole different film. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Um, and I also have the bar scene. It was Mitch's Tavern in Hillsborough, Hillsborough Street, Raleigh, and evidently they still have a bunch of the stuff there from the film. I have a thing. The other bar with the pool tables. Yeah. Yes. That's a bar called Green Room. And I used to go there. And That's it, what it was. Uh-huh. Oh, I was I wondered which bar you went to. Yeah, and it still looks like pretty exactly the same. I think it moved across the street since the filming, but it's still set up like it's set up exactly like it was in the movie with all those they have um ten full size four and a half by nine foot pool tables, Ooh. a handmade 22 foot shuffleboard table. It's where I learned how to play shuffleboard. Oh my God. A table, a table where you do it on a table. That's what shuffleboard is. Oh, I, I knew it. For, Cause Not I did the floor re- game. Yeah. It was on the floor. You've never played it on a table. No, no I've only seen it on the, f- remember when we were at, in San Diego and I was like, Oh, there's a shuffleboard course or a court. Yeah. I guess I thought those were two different games, but I guess it, it is might the same. be shuffleboard on a table. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, the yeah, you have, the discs. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, you have the it, house in the kitchen. I actually wrote a sports screenplay 
about shuffleboard. You had shuffleboard I, in there. Yeah, and I'd never played shuffleboard, and I just I got the pamphlet from the like shuffleboard association and tried to do the best I could. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the house, the kitchen. I, I like learning the different terminology to sprinkle in to my oh, sports yeah. film. Mm. Um, they have also have darts and foosball. Over a hundred varieties of microbrews, imports, and domestic beers now. Oh wow! And they're open 5 p.m. to midnight Tuesday to Saturday, and you can go. They're located at 1108 Broad Street in Durham. Wow! Are you not allowed to drink on Sundays in Durham? You're allowed to drink. You're not allowed to buy beer at the at the like at the oh, gas station. Oh, it's like closed. Like you can't buy nothing on Sunday. Or, no, you can. You can't buy it until, like, 10 a.m. or something. I remember, like, on Sundays when I would undoubtedly... You gotta wait till church is out. Yeah, yes. I would undoubtedly be running late for work, and I would have to stop to get gas or a Diet Mountain Dew, and there's always a fucking line, like, right at 10 o'clock, because then you couldn't... Like, everybody's waiting to buy, like, lottery tickets and beer. I laugh, but like it, and because of the, you know, the game, it came on out here at noon. So nine thirty, I cracked one open. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, European soccer. I love it. <laughs> That's what I would be big mad. I'd be oh, big mad. And then point. I, yeah, if you, yeah, you couldn't. The other thing is you can't buy it after midnight. I think. No, you can. They sell it until late. I don't know. I don't remember all the rules anymore. It's Virginia and North Carolina. Both have strange alcohol Yeah, they got rules. these wild alcohol rules. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's crazy. Um, I remember when Adam and I went to New Orleans for the first time. We went to like a corner store and we were uh, Adam was like, oh, what time do you stop serving or stop selling beer or alcohol? And like, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That would be never. Yeah. Um, and then I have, a, I have another little tasty titty. That's a silly, it's a silly titty. Oh, silly titties. Yeah. Um, because I was obsessed with the scene of Susan Sarandon down on her kitchen floor with her cat eating the garbage and she finds the joint and just starts smoking. <laughs> yes. And I loved her outfit. I loved everything about it. And I guess I searched that picture or something. I don't know. It brought me to a website called cinemacats.com. Oh. oh, my God. And it is all about celebrating cats in movies and television. And they, I guess, just point out every cat. So cat out of the bag alert. And it's Annie owns a long-haired ginger tabby cat, which is only seen briefly in the film. Under right. the opening credits, the cat is seen chasing across the lawn after Annie when she leaves her home. They have, they provide screenshots with arrows pointing at the cat. You don't <laughs> miss it. Later, the film is the later in the film, the cat is in bed with Annie and Crash playing Toe Monster with the couple as the Crash gets up in the morning. Mm-hmm. He's playing. He's playing with one of their toes. That's when I saw the cat. I was like, oh, she has a cat. Um, and then the cat is only seen once more as Annie tries to clean up the mess in her kitchen and pauses when she finds the butt of a joint and sits down to relax. And the and smile then, on her face. 
And then at the end, it says final musings, M-E-W-S-I-N-G-S, cats worship at the altar of messy kittens. And then it says, many thanks to Steve Holcomb for letting us know about the cat in this movie. <laughs> like this website exists, holy shit. Very cute. And you also, they have categories. So you could search by type of cat. Categories. So categories. So if you're trying to find like a faux cat, you could click on that and it shows you all the movies. Like in Doctor Who, there's a fake cat. Right. If you're trying to find a black and white cat. So it's very, 291 movies. Oh my gosh. 291 movies of black cats. Mm. You can search it by breed. So if you're into cats. There you go, listeners. You have your way with that. Apparently there's a movie in 1958 called Dogs Go to Jail. So we'll be watching <laughs> that at some point. <laughs> so Aaron, your tasties? All right. So I have that the budget of this film was, it was made for $9 million. And... When Ron Shelton wrote the script, he went around and it was passed by every studio. Mm -hmm. They passed on it. And then it was out. I don't think that you mentioned Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson as well. But but Kevin Costner said yes to it before I think that it went to either of them. Mm -hmm. And so then Ron Shelton went around with Kevin Costner attached to it. But now remember, he wasn't... Like Kevin he wasn't Bucky all that yet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So they went around and everybody still passed on it. So Hollywood, every Hollywood studio passed twice on this. Damn. And, and Kevin Costner, I forget what movie, his agents gave, they had a deadline because his agents were like, look, I know that you signed on to do this, but and that's how it is in Hollywood. It's a lot of, you know, shit or get yeah, off the pot. Exactly. Be, you know, like, okay, you're attached to this. If this doesn't go... You know, we need to get you out there. And at the deadline, right at the deadline, Orion came in and was like, all right, we'll do it. And the thing that changed their mind was because Kevin Costner, a Kevin Costner film that he came out that I'm sure we're going to do because you've talked about it, Ma. He was in a film called No Way Out. And it opened it opened in August. And August traditionally was a dumping ground for Hollywood when they didn't know what to do with a picture. They throw it in August. And it came out, and he got really great reviews for it. Yeah. And the film got great reviews. And so Orion was like, oh, you're attached to it. Yes, we'll do it. And that's how this film got made. And it ended up making, from its $9 million budget, it ended up making $50.9 million. So wow. it was a big hit. Wow. Um, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, they, they met on this film. And they were together until 2009. So for about 20 years. Yeah. Had and they have several children together. Yeah, they have two sons. Any any reason why they split up? I probably maybe. I mean, like y'all might know more, than, but you were with somebody for 20 years. And sometimes people just, you know, they just change in different ways than how you change I i'm guessing not. i don't like that well, i mean not saying but no i'm not saying that you do but i can oh god it. adam and i are gonna get divorced no oh, oh my <coughs> gosh i'm just saying that sometimes relations like they just run yeah. their or and they're you know they're artists and stuff and yeah you, they're 
fantastic. In different places in their yeah. in their uh, careers and Rich in their divorce all the time. Yeah, and in their life, like there's an 11 year difference, you yeah. know, age difference, and so yeah. you know, like maybe he wanted more kids, and she's like, maybe she didn't, or maybe she wanted more kids. Like you know, there's it's two people who have known each other for 20 years. I don't know. It seems like that's a thing. So Crash Davis, that's the name of a real baseball player. He played in the Carolina League from 1946 to 1952. Uh-huh. So that's where that's where he got the name from. And at the time, um, the real Crash da- when they were filming it, the real Crash Davis like communicated to him, and Ron Shelton was like, "Oh man, like can we use your name?" <laughs> Please say yes. Please say yes, man. Because he, this was before the internet. He had no idea if the guy was still oh, alive yeah. or not. And so he invited him down to the set. And he was, he, the the real named Crash Davis was like, well, does he get the girl? And he, and oh. Rachel was like, does he get the girl? Buddy, yes. And you can meet her. And Susan Sarandon just charmed the pants off that oh, old man. Oh, she did. And so, yeah, they were good and golden to use Crash Davis. But his actual film, the character was actually modeled after a Pike Bishop that was played by William Holden in The Wild Bunch. Oh. And it was, quote, so the Pike Bishop character loved something more than it loved him. And that was the Crash Davis character. Hmm. That's what that's what your grandmother said to me one time. I told my son to marry someone who loved him more than he loved her, and he did. Oh. Huh. <laughs> well, she doesn't have an accent, um, so I don't know where that came from. I, I was trying to make it more palpable for myself. <laughs> I think I don't know why you would. I mean, I do know why, but just now, it's like, yeah, that's, I mean, you're. Okay, I could say a lot. Moving on. <laughs> the LA Times poll of 100 critics. This was the second most acclaimed film of 1988. Okay. The number one acclaimed film of 1988 is something that we should put down definitely on our to-do list because mm-hmm. it's a film, it's a documentary called The Thin Blue Line. Oh. And I saw this documentary in college. And was blown away by it. I've heard of it, but I can't remember what it is. It's real. From what I remember, it's really, really good. It's it. It's one of those like true crime things before like true crime super blew up. So it's about. That's how I know about it. Okay. Yeah, it's about the 1976 murder of a Dallas police officer in the trial, and it's it's just one of those that. I remember seeing it in college and just be, and remember I'm in college. Like, we didn't have these movie theater chairs. We had the co- like the desk and chairs were wooden and together and they just would pull down a, a sheet and we would watch it. So it wasn't <laughs> comfortable and I was riveted by it and it's always stuck with me. I don't remember the ins and outs of it, just the broad points. It is. And when I saw this, that's why I had to bring it up because I had to mention it because at some point we do need to do the thin blue line. Okay. 
2003, it was the 15th anniversary of this film, and the National Baseball Hall of Fame celebration was canceled uh-uh. by the Hall of Fame president, and his name was Dale Petrosky. And Dale had been in the White House staff during the National Airport Administration. I'm sorry, I mean Reagan. Reagan's administration. I always do that. I confuse. The National Airport with Reagan? Yeah, I'm I'm so used to substituting. Every time I see Reagan, I think National Airport. We do not call it Reagan National Airport. National Airport. It is National Airport. So that substitution is just automatic on my behalf. Sorry. But it, he was he worked in the Reagan administration. And then he be, in 2003, he was the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he canceled it because he told Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon that their very public opposition of the U.S.-led war in Iraq, quote, undermined the U.S. position, which could put our troops in even more danger. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Hey Dale. Put it on the troops, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, D- hey Dale. You want to know what puts U.S. troops in even more danger? Lies. Yep. I mean, wasn't that the war that we went in because Iraq had weapons, weapons of, mass, of destruction? mass destruction? Did you find any? Any? Crickets. No. Crickets. Crickets. No. But Compton's own Kevin Costner said, and I quote, I think Tim and Susan's courage is the type of courage that makes our democracy work. Pulling back this invite is against the whole principle about what we fight for and profess to be about. Mm. Yep. So there you go. And keep in mind, in 1988, like when this movie came out, it wasn't like Saddam Hussein was, you know, a nice guy. Like he he was killing off hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But you know, it, it it's just wild. And looking back in history, I think that Susan and Tim are like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> told, told you, you so. So. <laughs> so for the Academy Awards, this was nominated for best original screenplay. Um. This is something interesting. I need to, when I go back and watch this again, I'll have to check it out. But, so they needed a bunch of crowds for extras. And so they went to a Pink Floyd concert in Chapel Hill. And That's they what asked, I heard. They asked the band. Oh. Yeah, they asked the band to invite a bunch of the crowd to the ballpark after the show. That's and fun. That's why, if you look real hard, they say that the ba- that the crowd looks really stoned and that there's a lot of Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon t-shirts. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. It's only eight miles down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And this month, actually, in 2022, there's a book by Ron Shelton. Get a load of this title. This man named this book all this. This is the name of the book. The Church of Baseball, The Making of Bull Durham, colon, Home Runs, Bad Calls, Crazy Fights, Big Swings, and a Hit. Wow. <laughs> wow. So if, if you are a huge Bull Durham fan, Ron Shelton has a book with so many stories 
in it for you. I'm sure there are some good stories in there. Oh yeah, a lot. Because there's more with Susan Sarandon. He mm. he just in the L.A. Times article, he was just like, I I'm saving it for the book, but basically, uh -huh. oh. save it for the book. Mm. So, listeners, that was our Bull Durham. Next week we're going back in time. We've been kind of uh, 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 what? Uh -oh. Not next week. Oh, excuse me. Wow, it's going to be what? Next three time. Weeks? It'll next, be next time. time. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it's time for our summer hiatus. Summer hiatus and just like my favorite murder, we have our summer vacation. Yes. And unfortunately, and we don't have any pre-recorded interviews for you to listen to. No. But you know for goddamn well and certain that you haven't listened to all You haven't listened to all episodes. of these. No, you haven't. You haven't. And there are some good ones out there. Gems. So the next time we were together, I decided to get out of the 70s, 80s, 90s time frame and go back in time to 1938. 1938? Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I didn't even look to see if I can watch it somewhere. Ay, ay, ay. Rookie move. Okay, so it's 1938. It is uh, destination is going to be difficult because it's on a train. Murder on the Orient Express. Through Europe. It is not. Oh, going through Wrong. Europe. <laughs> Thanks. Wrong. <laughs> Guesses one movie right, and now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let me see where we can watch it. Going through Europe on a train. Mm -hmm. It um, has. On the road to. <laughs> no. That... Oh, okay. It's one hour and 36 minutes. You're welcome. Oh, I love that. that is it is a mystery thriller. <sighs> More watch options. And it's not Murder on the Orient Express. I know. Oh, wow. We might be able to watch it on HBO Max. Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video. We can rent it on Prime Video. 1938. Ah, okay. A Who's train, the train to Constantinople. No. Okay. Um, okay, it does have a famous director, and this was his last film he did in Britain. Oh, oh, in Britain. His last film in Britain. Is it Hitchcock? Yes. It's so Alfred Hitchcock? It is. is it Strangers on a Train? It's not. You're welcome. What? Yeah. The 39 Steps. It's not. Oh my god, she's stumped, folks. It has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so now this is a Hitchcock film. It's in the it's in the 1930s. Michael Redgrave, the father of Vanessa and and the other that, one. <laughs> that other one who was in Alfie, Lynn. <laughs> Thank you cuz that was that was wildly disrespectful to Lynn. It Redgrave. was. And I I apologize, Lynn, if you're still with us. I don't um, think she is. But you're not going to know anybody else in it. Mm. Um, Michael Redgrave. 
But it wasn't the 39 steps. It's not strangers on a train. So are you ready? Juno you know the Paycock. No, I got a lot of titles to get through. Juno and the Paycock. No, I, I don't think that's real. It is. The Lady Vanishes. Yes. Ah. The Lady Vanishes, 1938. Hopefully we'll be able to see it. If not, I'll... Uh, I'll you, you have pick, a VHS copy there. Pick a new... Pick, we probably do. Uh, no, pick, you can see, like, The Lady Vanishes, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Because that's one of Hitchcock's, like, great films. So I'm It was supposed sure to be his best before he came to America. Ooh. Yeah, I remember... Um, I watched it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's on HBO Max. Yeah, that, I, I said that. Apple yeah. TV, if you want to, uh, Amazon Prime Video. So we can watch it, but we will be back oh, with excited. you sometime in August. Sometime yeah. in August. Well, we hope you have enjoyed our foray into the 80s, 90s, early 80s. Yeah, I spent a, a little bit of time there. We did mm-hmm. spend some time. I almost did Thelma and Louise because I was wondering yeah. if you were going to do that next. I love it, and I almost did my way that. out because I was really, mm-hmm. really, very pleased with Kevin Costner before he got so full of himself. I remember you watching. I remember always here, like growing up, you you liking No Way Out. Like that love movie no stuck with you. I remember yeah. you talking about it after you watched it. Like, oh, it's a great movie. You can't watch it, but it's a great movie. Yeah. And then there was another um, Body Double. Was it Body Double? With oh, Kathleen yeah. With Turner. And what's his face who just passed away? Uh-huh. He was in broadcast William news. Hurt. Yeah. 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 So there's still plenty. We're going to go back to the 80s and There's so and 90s. many there's so many. I thought you were going to do a Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward. See, uh, film. I almost it actually Rachel. Rachel was totally on the radar until I went, let's go back even further. Mm, Cause we've been roots. out of our backness. So now we're back in, you know, isn't it wild? How, yeah. How old 88 is now? Yeah. Well, to you but like to you no but that's how age works like to me i don't think i i'm like oh we're we're doing these modern films but you know there's like 20 year olds who are like this is so old exactly oh my gosh exactly they didn't have a cell phone yeah what? okay listeners we hope you enjoyed bull durham uh, a nod to our team. I North did. Carolina. And I, next- I enjoyed it, but it it um it was just different. I didn't enjoy it off the bat. Like just coming from a league of their own, Shawshank Redemption. To me, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a, a straightforward yeah. sports film that it, you. I'll would allow love. you to think that. I'll allow you to have that opinion. Yeah, because that's Erin and her strategy. <laughs> My contrarianness. Oh, this is number one, you say? You're telling me, colonizers? I will decide. <laughs> Welcome to our world with Aaron. And so we'll be back when we come back. We hope you listen to some past ones you missed. Mm-hmm. And 
Bye. Bye.